Hello, I'm Peter Laws, and this is a sermon-only episode of the Creepy Cove Community Church podcast. If you'd like to hear the full church service, complete with strange comedy, special guests, and notices like you've never heard before, then all the shows are available for free. Just visit creepycove.com to find out more. But if you just want to hear a sermon, a time of quiet reflection, and a song, then this is for you. I'd be grateful if you could check out patreon.com forward slash creepycove to find out how you can support the show and get lots of exclusive member benefits. But for now, I'll shut up. Here's your sermon. Thanks. Uh, It means that we have a full view of every one of you right now. And my goodness, I have to say that not only are you the most fine and attractive congregation this side of heaven, you are also an immensely Immensely talented bunch of people too. So many achievements and skills. This place is literally throbbing with talent. But, yeah, you knew there was going to be a but. Not quite that type, but you know, it's a different show. But anyway, you knew there was going to be a but coming because while some of you guys may well um, have highfalutin university degrees from Miskatonic University and and some of you make the finest Father's Day cakes known to man with a really heady flavour... No matter all, no matter what all these achievements are, right? There was a time in your life and mine when all of our achievements were absolutely minuscule. And no matter who you are or where you're from, whether you are a super rich, mega famous author like Stephen King, oh hey Stephen, thanks for thanks for coming once again, Just sitting at the back there. Um, or if you're if you see yourself as a nobody with very little to your name, like like Geordie Verrill over there. Hey Geordie, thanks for coming as well. And you're great, by the way. Do not put yourself down. You really brighten up the corner there, sitting in that flower pot. No matter who you are, we all share a common beginning. All of our stories, no matter how exciting and impressive they become, they all start with exactly the same, pretty much, first chapter. We were all babies once. And it's kind of weird to think about that, considering all that's happened in our lives, that once we were, (laughs) once we were like smaller than an AirPod. You remember? Imagine that. At one point in your life, you could have lain against Nosferatu's rat-like fangs and you wouldn't have reached the top or the bottom. I mean, just... Try this, right? Take a look at your hand. Let's use this projection system and see if it works, right? Lift your hand up. Okay, great. I can see some of you lifting it up. Seriously, lift it up. Right. There was a time when that exact hand was no bigger than the thumb you are looking at now. That hand right there. Yeah, we've all been children once. And before that, we've been babies. Before that, embryos. And you've never met anyone who says, I didn't bother with the childhood stage. I just applied for advancement and I arrived as an 18 year old. That doesn't happen. Well, apart from the guy in the 1980s horror extra who climbs out of a woman's stomach fully grown in a creepy cove farmhouse. But okay, yeah, there are exceptions. But for the rest of us, we all began tiny with like no achievements or personal performance-based significance. But of course, we don't remain children all of our life. We grow, we develop. And that's probably a good thing, of course. During this service, I don't have to listen to any of you adults crying for formula milk. When I shake your hand at the door, I don't have to worry about you suddenly vomiting on me. Apart from those of you who are demonically possessed, and that's fine because we've got splash guards and Febreze for that. So we're well prepared. But my point is we all started as babies, but then we grew up and along the way we learned certain social skills. We got out of childishness in some ways. 
You know, in meetings at work, we don't tend to defecate in our pants while we sit there. Well, at least not every meeting. And because we, we've moved on from what you could call, well, some people would call childish behaviours, perhaps in inverted commas. And we see that often as a, as a positive thing that we've gotten out of the childhood years or at least out of the childish years. But interestingly, there are some childlike qualities that we lose when we grow up that Jesus in this passage says we should hang on to. In fact, it's actually quite, quite a lot stronger than that. He says that we should actively revert and recapture some of these childhood characteristics. Well, which ones is he talking about? Is he talking about the vomit bit or, or something else? Well, and why would that be a good idea anyway? Who would ever want to act like a child again? So I want to explore this idea in this um, service and in the next service by looking deeper into the passage that we've just had read to us earlier. And we're going to explore two uh, fascinating ideas, at least fascinating to me. Um, number one, the childishness of adults. And then in the next service, we'll explore the maturity of children. So this week, let's have a look at this first idea, the childishness of adults. Now, children are often accused of being childish, which is kind of fair enough. It's, that's like accusing a car of being a bit carish. But, but what does it mean? What do we mean when we say somebody is childish? Well, you, maybe you've got a list of, of childish traits in your mind, but I've been thinking about this, preparing for this. And, and so I, I reckon I've, I've come to this decision that the essence of childishness is related to the concept of self-obsession. Babies, for example, they are relentlessly selfish. Like when was the last time a baby in a crib woke up at 3am and, and, and said to itself, I require comfort and attention, but I couldn't possibly cry for father. It's 3am. I shall wait till cock crow. Now, well, firstly, babies don't talk like that. Um, and well, babies don't talk. But what I'm saying is babies and toddlers would not even think that because they think the world revolves around them, that everything belongs to them. They are relentless. It's like the it's alive babies. They're cute, but also a bit scary too. They just eat and take. So I think that's one of the core ways that we define childishness, a complete lack of understanding of other people's needs and a laser focused obsession with our own. You see this when babies are hanging out with each other and they just go and grab stuff off one another and they say, that's mine, mine, mine. Now, of course, when kids grow up, they hit adulthood. And when they do, all of this childishness just magically slips away, doesn't it? Every adult becomes a machine of pure maturity after all. All adults thoughtfully share with each other. They, they give mutual support and understanding, and they are no longer obsessed with themselves and the things they own. <laughs> well, of course, I jest, because I have spent a long time in adult world now, and I am yet to find this Shangri-La of constant maturity in adults. You see, sometimes the world of adults, and I totally, totally include myself in this, by the way, is no different than the nursery playground. We, we continue to think that the key to greatness and contentment lies in what we have. You know, the, our possessions, our qualifications, our achievements, our abilities, like a little kid is obsessed with toys and grabbing whatever they can get. Now, you might be sat there going, oh no, Peter, not me. I'm not part of the capitalist rat race. I actually spend my time as a volunteer and I serve and I help other people. But you know, 
be be honest. You know, sometimes you, we can even rank ourselves um, at how well we serve and how well we do things. And we can say, actually, when I think about it, I'm way more humble and helpful than the guy down the road. So we, we can all have this uh, sense of, of, of trying to find our significance in kind of our possessions, our achievements, our abilities, even uh, voluntary work. And this idea of kind of hierarchy and ranking comes up in the, the conversation that we've had read to us today by Frida. The disciples are with Jesus and the disciples ask him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Like, who's the best? Now, bear in mind that Jesus has just told them in the previous chapter that he is heading to be humiliated on a cross, which looks like a kind of loser thing to do. So his trajectory is heading to a kind of suffering and dying. But the disciples in the next chapter just want to shift it back to, you know, forget about that stuff. Who's going to be the best? You know, who's the greatest? In the context of his impending death, Jesus' impending death, they want to know who's going to get the highest rank. That's what matters to them. And this sort of obsession with status and achievements, I think, I reckon it's the very essence of human nature. I just think this is simply how we think. Um, And I don't believe that we should blame culture for it. You hear people doing this all the time, I reckon. Um, You know, people say, oh, materialism is to blame for our obsession with status and rewards and ranking. You know, society is to blame the system is to blame. It has corrupted us. But nah, man, listen, right? I hate to break it to you, but don't blame culture. We are culture. You and I, us, everybody, we are society. We are the system. We're part of the system. We feed the system and the system feeds us back. I'm not saying that to beat us up and and say that we're rotten people, far from it actually. But what I'm trying to get at is I don't think we can simply claim that, oh, we are all victims of the brainwashing of capitalist advertising. And without adverts, we would all be like Mother Teresa or something. Nah, the real issue, right, is not culture. It's actually more simple than that. It's this. Human beings are naturally insecure. We just are. We can't help it. It's not a crime. It's not, I wouldn't even say it's a sin or anything like that. It's just the way we seem to be. We, we long for significance and security. There's nothing wrong with that. It's completely natural. But we try to achieve that by looking for labels that we can add to ourselves that will counterbalance that insecurity. Like the disciples, are. they, they are preoccupied with status Now, some of you might be sat there saying, no, you know, you're insisting still that this is not you. Some of you think you're not focused on these things at all. I've heard people say, particularly religious people, they'll say, no, I get my confidence in God. I don't get my self-confidence in anything else. Well, if that's you, have you really thought about this? Do you realize how much um, your achievements, your family your income, and crucially, this is important, your health. Do you realize how much your health gives you a sense of security and significance and how rocked that security would be if you lost those things? I think of a lovely man that I knew years ago, and he was a family man. He was the headmaster of his school. And I always thought that was a really clever, impressive, responsible type of job. And I thought, oh, wow, a headmaster, that's, a, that's a, a school principal. That's, a, that's an impressive job. And yet alcoholism became so bad for this guy that he ended up losing his job. He lost his wife. He lost his kids. 
and then he lost his house, he lost his health. And when I met him, this headmaster, around the time I was told that he'd been sleeping under the trees behind a motorway service station. That's where he lived. And actually, he was homeless off and on until he died early. And you and I might pass him in that service station and and think, yeah, it's just a homeless guy, layabout maybe, somebody might think. And then we turn to the headmaster of our kid's school or the headmistress and we think, ah, oh, but they're impressive. You know, they've achieved things. For those of you who assume that your sense of security is in God and nothing else, <laughs> what if by next summer that man's story becomes your story? don't want to like freak you out or anything, but it is possible. He never expected it to happen. What if you find yourself addicted, sleeping on the streets one day, stripped of all your possessions and achievements, your relationships, your family? Where would you find your sense of self-worth and your dignity then? Can you see, therefore, that the system we have is, is flawed, where we think that we only matter because of what we produce? I listed uh, many achievements that we all have at the, at the start, and, and they're wonderful, don't get me wrong. And as wonderful as those achievements are and the successes that we have in life, we should be enjoyed and celebrated. But they were never, ever meant to be the measure by which you found your security and your significance. And if you are living like they are, that what you do and what you win and what you succeed in if you think that is what makes you matter, then you are demonstrating, frankly, the immaturity of adulthood. Don't beat yourself up about it, by the way, because even the disciples with Jesus at their side couldn't help but fall into that way of thinking too. And, and by the way, we all do it, especially me. Don't ever, ever think that I'm preaching at you as if I do not do these things as well. I am not preaching at you. I'm just sharing ideas as a fellow traveler. And I am also terrible at this. I place way too much emphasis on how successful I am or how impressive I am. Years ago, I left my role as a church pastor in Hertfordshire in England to pursue a writing career as a horror author. And I had years of not getting published. And I was, I was shocked at how it knocked my confidence. I, I preached I preached so many sermons about we should get our significance from God, blah, 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 you know, but I just wasn't doing that myself. It was a, that's a good message, by the way, but I'm just saying I was a hypocrite because I, I hadn't realized that I wasn't doing that myself. And I don't share that to beat myself up. I'm just saying I'm, I'm, I'm human because I'm part of the system. I, I grew up in this system. So if I stand at a dinner party surrounded by successful people, particularly at that time, I kept thinking, oh man, when they ask me what I do, how can I present myself in a way that looks good? Because in essence, what I'm doing now, this was then, um, you know, is, you know, I'm looking after my kids as a house husband. I'm trying and failing to get um, published. That's who I am. And I was taken aback at how crap that made me feel. And it was weird because when I saw other people in that position, I hadn't, I didn't judge them at all. I thought, fine, good, house husband, housewife, whatever, wonderful. But for, for some reason, I, I, it just felt me, made me feel bad about myself. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't. Actually, having a prolonged experience of what you might call failure was very helpful for me because it was an excellent reminder that I am an immature adult. 
like most adults are. Why? Because our brain is wired for a system. Because our brains are naturally insecure. That we feel that life is about status and reward and possession. Like the toddler who thinks that all that matters is the toy. Get the toy and it'll be fine. But of course we know that doesn't always work, does it? Especially if those things get taken from us through illness or the circumstances of life. And so Jesus decides that he wants to challenge this childishness that he sees in adults. To tell them that his love for them, the disciples, but also I'd say his love for us, for me, has absolutely zero to do with our achievements or our skills or our qualifications or even our goodness or our religious performance. Instead, he does it in a typically subversive way, which we'll explore in the next service, where he starts to say, don't be childish. But the contrast is not to say, therefore be more grown up. Instead, he says, the key to security is not to be childish, but it's actually to be childlike. What is the difference between being childish and childlike? And why should we be encouraged to become more childlike? in our life. Well, we're going to explore that in the next service, when in the face of the childishness of adults, Jesus points us to the maturity of children. Well, listen, we're going to spend a moment in prayer and reflection. And so I'd like to invite Gilderoy from the Barbarian Sound Studio in town. He's a whiz with sound effects and he helps us out now and again um, with our PA and stuff. So I've asked him to bring up his big old analog tape machine that he used to use apparently when he worked for the BBC Radiophonic Workshop in the 70s. And it's really cool to see it in the building today. And he's going to wheel it up and he's going to foley us through this prayer, right? Yeah, it's a bit experimental, but we're okay with that creepy curve. We can handle it. Okay, cool. Now... We're going to have a kind of meditation of uh, what it's like to be in the womb. And, I, and before we actually really kick into it, I just want to be, make it really clear. Like this isn't supposed to be some sort of like pro-life or pro-choice argument. It's just simply a metaphor for us to remember what it was like when we were little. Okay, right. Here we go. Gilderoy, hit that button. Whoa, it's quite loud. A bit down. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Close your eyes. Now I want you to picture yourself inside a syringe. <laughs> yeah, I know that sounds weird, but bear with it. We're being experimental. You have been shrunk down to the microscopic size by the folks at the Fantastic Journey in a Space Company. And they are currently injecting you into a body. And now look, you're in. You are hurtling down the bloodstream rivers, twisting and turning. You're dodging cells. You slalom through veins. Ugh, veins creep me out. But anyway. Okay, you're now through. You've gone through the whole body. It's a fast process. And you have now reached this amazing cavern. Look around. You are in a cavern filled with fluid. And in the center of that cavern, look up. You drift upwards and the shape of it finally makes sense. You see a huge floating fetus. Giant fetus. Like 2001 or something. And in an instant, you recognize it. 
It's you. It's you. At the very start of your beautiful, meaningful life. And you haven't done anything yet with it. You haven't achieved a thing. Or performed a thing. You haven't found any success. Heck, you can't even open your own eyes. But just look at yourself floating there. And think of these words from the Bible. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that God himself knitted you together in your mother's womb. And with that in mind, and with you floating in amniotic fluid, checking yourself out, let's pray. God, we want to thank you that the Bible says that you love us um, when we're successful and achieve much, but you also love us when we're terrible and achieve nothing and are complete failures. Because your love is not based on what we do or what we have. It's simply based on who you are and your character. You're, you are love. The Bible says you are love. But God, that is not an easy idea to own because we are part of a system that tells us that we only matter because of what we do or what we have. And that's especially unfair when some of us in society do not have the same advantages as others. And so to, so to base our sense of worthiness on what we have achieved in life is a dangerous and unfair game to play. And so we want to admit it now to you in prayer that many of us, all of us perhaps, have a built-in sense of insecurity of various degrees, which isn't a failing, it's normal. But we want to deal with it in the most effective way we can. So God, would you help us to see that we are valuable regardless of our outward achievements and guard us against demissing ourselves and indeed other people based on those criteria. We are more than that. And we've always been like that. So thank you that your love and respect for us is there. Whether we are kings and queens, or whether we're a broken alcoholic curled up under the trees of a motorway service station, or if we are beaten and killed in a public execution on a crucifix. In your economy, there is no hierarchy of human value or greatness. Everyone is loved. Help us to learn to see that in our own lives and in the lives of others. And by your Holy Spirit, we pray we'll feel that affection you have for us and that love sink into our hearts even now. Amen. Whoa. Okay. You can come out of your mother's womb now. <laughs> yeah, it's a disturbing thought, but you know, you get the picture. Anyway, thanks Gilderoy for um, those intense sounds. Lead us in our final song which is um, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. What a blessing so divine In the everlasting arms What a blessed peace is mine In the everlasting arms from all alarm leaning 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 on the everlasting arms. 
That's it for another service here at Creepy Cove Community Church. Thank you so much for coming, whether you walked all the way up here to be with us physically or if you're present via Mr. Cochrane's Stonehenge projection thing. Well, thank you for listening to this sermon-only edition of Creepy Cove Community Church podcast. You can find more sermons, but also full services as well if you wanted to check out creepycove.com. Remember, support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash creepycove or visit creepycove.com and sign up to the Peter Laws newsletter so you can stay in the loop. Have a great week. Take care.